I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, producer Jonah Primo here and welcome to Principle of Charity, where we inject curiosity and generosity back into our conversations on big social issues. So this is part two of our conversation with Jane Campion. And if you missed part one, I highly encourage you to go back to last week's episode and listen to Emil and Jane do a deep dive on creativity. In today's On the Couch episode, Lloyd pushes Jane with some tough questions and curveballs on the principle of charity itself. And these episodes always have a a very different energy and spark some strange avenues of self-reflection. It's a great chat. And uh, if you like it or learn something, please help us out by leaving a review. Enjoy. Uh, Jane, what a great conversation with Emil. We're going to get straight on to that, what I will now call a dialectical approach on, on the couch. So let me explain. We, we always have what's the alternative. Yeah. You and Emil chatted a lot about creativity, uh, about imagination. Let me start off with the first question in, in the vein of the principle of charity, which is always to look at the alternative and understand it but also to look at one's own limitation of, of particular views. How does creativity stop you from understanding others? It seems antithetical, but <laughs> um, I'm going to try and play in this space. And this is probably what I would call bad creativity, is that it may stop you listening properly. It may stop you listening to exactly what's in front of you So it, because you don't like it and you create an alternative fantasy. So you stay so much within your own world and that world becomes so powerful, that creative world, that you can't get out of it. That could be a way of describing it. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I don't think I listen very well even to my own partner, you know, and sometimes it's shocked and I, you know, when I hear them say something and I think, who are you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're right there and you're used to them. And that's an animal, you know, used to them sharing the same basket or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, two dogs lying together or whatever. But there's a sense of not knowing the mystery of their, really their inner being. Thank you for that. I'm going to stay within the vein of the alternative. And, you yeah. know, in conversation with Emil, you mentioned that alpha males are your enemy. And in the DNA of this show, we're looking to understand the other. Okay, so there's a, there's a little bit of alpha there. For alpha, okay. What's the best case for alpha males? How, how do they help the world? Well, I guess, yes, you, yeah, you're helping me here, I think. I think I've always imagined alpha males as being spectacularly selfish and self-serving. Mm. But, you know, maybe if they use their strengths and drive to help others Mm -hmm. or people, you know, with less strength and drive, 
maybe if the alpha male is angled towards not just winning or self-help but towards promoting a fairer society, does the alpha male have power, you know? Well, do, do, they, do they help in any way if, through their power? Yeah, do they have power? That's one question. Like, sure. And do they help? Um, that's, that's a hard one. I really, I mean, you know, the Marvel comics would have that they do, but uh. um, interestingly it seems to be thought about a little bit. It's like the, the American dream of the heroic, which is very powerful within their culture or their psyche, has, you know, the Clark Kent kind of guy with the inner hero, you know, who's capable of extraordinary capacities to save and, you know, and he's the, you know, that part of him is the alpha or Superman and the other is misjudged as not having the capacity. I, I hear you. And let, let me throw in another comment to you is potentially, and I'm just thinking about our conversation and your conversation yeah. with Emil and your movies and your your artwork, your um the, the alpha male has created resistance. Um, it's created resistance in you to them. In so doing, you've brought out the impact that they have on the world and the other side of the story. And I think sometimes in the resistance, people create value. Well, that's very generous of you. Um, and, um, yes, I think that's, that's – I mean, I, I don't know how you managed to think like this, but I guess – I think that's true that, just like I say, it's good to know your enemy, you know. If there was a well-known <laughs> alpha male in the industry, yeah, would you employ them, would you use them in one of your movies? I would, I would um, probably not because I don't consider that they have a lot of um, capacity for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Like it's very often that um, people who are not alpha males play really good alpha males because they know the beast. They've studied the beast. They've had to uh, put up with them. Their father was abusive, yeah. you know, whatever uh, it was. Uh, uh, uh. So it's hard to say, so, well, it's really good you're playing this role because you're one of those, you know, toxic alpha males. <laughs> okay. That's, that's yeah. really that's fascinating. I mean, that really does delve into the issue of the subconscious and so forth. It comes up so much when we're looking at casting. It's like, do you cast to type or against type? You know, if you if you need an alpha male character, you just cast an alpha male and then you've got it. But to Jane's point, if their shadow's not there, even as a sort of murmur underneath, then it can feel like a, quite a hollow performance. And so sometimes, as Jane's saying, you, you know, you cast the more vulnerable male who can embrace the alpha and then suddenly you've got like a, a 360-degree person. They're also more willing to expose themselves or that character. Yeah. Whereas if you cast an actual alpha male, they're always trying to, like, um, redeem it, you know? Okay. Like they don't want to, I don't want to do this and say this nasty thing to this woman because, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, or something like that. And you go, oh, my God, come on, it's in the script, you know? Let's, let's, let's do it. No, no, you know, and they, they'd really work hard to re- redeem their character, therefore redeem themselves. And vulnerability is yeah. how we connect with characters. So if you don't have that, but sometimes you get alpha males who have that vulnerability, even if they're not aware of it. Maybe is that something possible, Jane? I feel like I've seen that actors who you feel a sense of their the cracks in their armor, but you sort of get a sense that they are not in control of their shadow. I think it's possible. I mean, I think you know that sense of 
being able to feel someone's vulnerability through their armour is, of course, always really tantalising, you know, because it's something they've wanted to keep hidden. Yeah. And um, yet they are stressed and exposing it, you know, so that feels really exciting. Repression is powerful when you feel authentic Mm. repression. Let's stay again in the vein of charity. Let's assume an actor or a crew member had very strong accusations, public accusations of being a racist. Would would you, Jane, put them on, would you put them on your film? Accusations. And, 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 and maybe they've even voiced views that are antithetical to you. Maybe a pro-Trump supporter. They may be an alpha male supporter. Uh, they may see the evolutionary benefit of alpha males. I, I don't know, but let's assume they, they were... They were at the opposite, would would you would you hire them? And and Anibel, I'm going to ask you that question as well. It's a difficult question because there's two things you have to consider, and we do consider it in truth when we hire people. Is like now when we have the you know hashtag Me Too movement and the woke community um, who are always looking for ways to be controversial. You would have to think twice about hiring someone that may bring negative. At a practical level, like you were referring earlier in your conversation with Emil, but you, you have to take into consideration. Well, I mean, if, if someone voted for Trump, I would wouldn't care. Yeah, no, yeah. I would still hire them. I don't feel that's you know my business, or like if they have a religion that's different, like they're Scientologist, or you know people don't got their opinions about that. No, I, I think that's their own private business. I just think all that matters is how they behave. Um, on set with other people, mm-hmm. if they are rude or um, overbearing or unpleasant or abusive, then that's a problem. Emil, how about you? Well, I think it's it's that question of where does where does our allegiance lie? What's our purpose here in the industry? For me, as a producer, and I'm working with directors, and particularly in film, it's it's the, it's their voice you're trying to protect, and writers, which is much more in, in television, um, although both obviously cross over. So my allegiance is not. When I'm working with you, Jane, my allegiance isn't to you, it's to the movie, to your movie. That's how I see it to myself, which can um, annoy people. But I I see it as like I'm trying to, my allegiance is to the movie, which is yours, and I'll do whatever it takes so that your movie can be the best that it can be. And sometimes that does involve casting some dodgy characters. I think it needs to be a high threshold at a certain point, obviously, you're not going to cast someone who's committed a massive crime and is on the run and you're harboring them in your film. Like you're not going to be breaking the law. You know, if someone's done something and committed a crime and done their time, I would err on the side of, of doing what's right for the, for, the, for the production and for the film mm. or TV show. But I guess things have shifted a bit and that people are less able to draw that distinction between art and the artist and those mm. two things particularly with social media you know the artist the artist is the art they're they're sort of one and the same yeah and that's putting aside the practical considerations that it might hurt you publicly i i would err on the side of the art uh in, in, unless the threshold's high enough that you start to feel incredibly uncomfortable i mean i think in terms of like um I think that certain sets, and I like to think my sets are like that, that you can create a kind of chi field of kindness and um, politeness and support that um, very few of these problems turn up in. 
right. you know, on set. Wouldn't you say, Emil, that... You, um, you create a safe environment. Uh, we try to create a really safe, kind, thoughtful mm-hmm. and productive environment. Mm-hmm. And in that case, everyone who's there, who's especially the actors, you know, if they're vulnerable, they're in our care and mm-hmm. we want to see them thrive mm-hmm. and to do their best work and to look after them, even if their requests sound unreasonable. Uh, you have to understand that every human is really diff- different and, and can present as difficult one day and, and extraordinary another, you know. So it's really a job for us never to judge them um, and their requests because they can be quite, you know, numerous, can't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you just know that they're anxious about doing a good job, you know. That's almost always what they're thinking about, um, only that, oh, my God, I hope I don't disappoint. Oh, I don't I hope I don't, you know. If this up or, or or whatever, and so you know, sometimes you know some actors even feel better if they're in conflict with people, you know, mm. which is which is where it's most difficult because mm. someone's going to take the brunt of it. And we we noticed that with someone, and it happened once that we would you know say, okay, your turn today to listen to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Jane, I want to come to the the conversation around truth, creativity free speech it's a big theme of our podcast Mm. uh, around finding the truth or getting as close Mm. to it as possible when do you think the truth is not good when do you think telling the truth is not good when it's weaponized i guess you say well i you know people say well it was the truth you know and it could have been said in front of a lot of other people um in a way where the mission was not to help create peaceful solution but actually to expose somebody mm-hmm. so that's when i would call it weaponized and and have you ever chose not to speak the truth or do you do it regularly maybe i should ask when you've chosen <laughs> not to speak the truth because you either want to maintain harmony or you know it's just from a self-interest point of view it's just not worth it I, I would say that definitely I have scales of times when I think it's, um, you know, depending on the depth and importance of my relationship with the person um, or what it's about with the project. Like, you know, say around film, I feel like it's an area where I, you know, really want to know the truth, like what's working, what's not working. Well, even if we can't fix it, we'll say it, right, Emil? Yeah. Like we're pretty harsh about it and... And it, yeah. it feels good. But, you know, like if I think somebody's made a big mistake or or behaved badly, you know, I have to, it's not not always my job to go tell them that. Um, you have to sort of consider their capacity or what's important about it. You know, how is this going to change things for the better? So often love and kindness, I think, is um probably the way to nurture um, more truth yeah. than, um, you know, than just saying, oh, that behavior was terrible, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because Emil um, mentioned and and uh, Jonah, our producer, highlighted this to me today. I, I had a slight altercation with a neighbor today. <laughs> goody, goody, we're going to hear the story. And, and, and it, was, it was about something very minor and he, he just is, you know, he, he just went off at me, this guy. Yeah. And I, it, it was, there were so many distortions, certainly from my perspective, that were not vaguely close to the truth. Yeah. 
And I sat there and he didn't want to speak to me. And I said, let's chat. It's important to, 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 to explain our different positions. And he just raved at me for a half an hour. And I, I decided so consciously not to speak, not to react at all, but just to listen and come from a position of understanding and kindness. Mm. And he made terrible accusations that were just clearly untrue from my perspective anyway. But he, he, And I said, Would you, are you interested in my perspective? He said, no, I'm not. And I, I left it at that. And I tell you the problem I've just discovered with kindness <laughs> in, in argument. And, you know, as you said earlier, the principle of charity really shows up w- when you're in it. And I really had to be charitable to this fellow. Is I am feeling so powerless. Mm. I, I just, I, there's a part of me that just wants to react, wants some retribution. I didn't yeah. have my voice. Mm. And, you know, it's just as clear to me that if the stakes were even bigger, mm. how hard it is to be loving and kind in the face of massive provocation. Uh, you know, I take my hat off to re- very religious people, whether they are Christians, Muslims, Jews, yeah. uh, Buddhists, who are able just to really embrace the walking away and come from that. But I find it hell. Mm. Well, I'm not surprised you find it a little bit difficult. <laughs> How do you find loving a love and kindness in the face of, of provocation and resistance and irritation and un- what you deem to be unfair? Like I think with the very closest family members, like, you know, my daughter, it's like a practice I have to have because if I don't, I think I might lose her, you know, As uh, <laughs> and that's something I can't ca- handle. Uh, you know, that is so it's a very good provocation that, mm. you know, like mm. sometimes I don't feel she's fair to me, mm. you know, in arguments or discussions, but I know that my job right now is just to listen. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's really difficult, but I'm so grateful for myself when I don't, you know, yeah. Say yeah. some stupid nonsense back, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it has made a difference, you know. And I feel like she's dealing with a lifetime of me not listening very well, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. me being the boss, me being in charge. And mm-hmm. now, if I don't accept this, you know, change of power, really, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't going to have, you know, good relationship. And I really can see that the relationship has improved immensely. Mm-hmm. And right. it, it's fun, you know. Yeah, but good it, it did you. take me to like um, really um, accept that the person that I thought I was was not experienced by her. Yeah, she had a lot more complaints. It sounds like she's done a lot of work, though. She's. she's I think she has done a lot of work. Yeah, and I'm yeah. so proud of her. But yeah, yeah, no, I I find it really difficult not to um, I don't know be right in some imaginary court, you know, mm, of mm. my own making. Yeah. It's like pathetic, but. <laughs> that's that's amazing that both of you are able to do that um i want to i want to move on to the conversation around but tell me this lloyd can i just ask a question like what are you going to do with that frustration or was that the powerlessness sounds like something profitable yeah you know like um you know something beautiful in a way as well yeah, it's a good question to me. Thank you. Um, I actually feel quite proud of myself. Uh, it's not something yeah. I easily do. I am feeling powerless. Yeah. I'm trying to be aware of my powerlessness um, and just keep on labeling it and see the importance of it. Everything else in my body wants to retaliate. 
my bo- my body is telling yeah. me to retaliate. I yeah. want to get on that email. But, but maybe it's pain underneath it because that's what usually what is always underneath it. Sad, sadness, pain, you know. Spot on, spot on. In this yeah. case, you know, it's it's pain, and of course, of all anger stems from loss. And in yeah. this case, maybe it was a loss of status, a loss of you know power, whatever it is. So I, I need to sit with it, and um, I'm going to do my best not to react. But there's no guarantees. <laughs> There's no guarantees. I don't know if I'm stronger than my mind or my mind is stronger than me. We'll, we'll know in a, in a few days. Well, well neighbours are great pro- provocateurs too. Like, you know, yeah. we try not to have any relationship with neighbours. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, and or just like, hello, hi, how are you? Yeah, yeah. Or, this was a good th- This was a good one. Jane, I Could I say, though, Lloyd, that, that Jane's point about the powerlessness is beautiful. It's a very... Mm. It, it, it's an that's an artist's way of seeing the world um, because it's like there are ways to redeem these feelings that are yep. difficult feelings and it's to create something you know it's like finding the beautiful and the ugly uh, you go out on a location recce with an incredible director and they get so excited about a really dirty disgusting alleyway yes. because <laughs> because they find the beauty in it and it's like you're one step removed there's an artistic sort of uh uh, redemption there in yes, your powerlessness. Yes. Well, there's actually a deeper question that's even more disturbing is why I even feel a sense of powerlessness, which we won't get into today. But <laughs> <laughs> that's more disturbing. Jane, I want to come to the question of culture wars. Um, it was touched on with Emil in your conversation around why you also enjoyed the principle of charity. Let me say what I mean by culture wars. I mean the sort of polarization and conflict between social groups and the struggle for dominance over certain values and practices, you know, whether they're transgender rights, abortion. How do you see Jane Campion's role in the culture wars? I'm not, to be honest, I'm just not interested in it. Why not? Because I want to do other things like, you know, what I see as my role in the world is like to give back and, um, Right now, you know, like I started this film school in New Zealand, it's a free film school. And, you know, I'm working for free, or though costs, I have to admit. And the students have been paid to come. So it's, a, you know, it's like an experiment going back to, I guess, the Enlightenment days of Gough Whitlam when education was free. Anyway, we're in the middle of it. And sometimes we have to pinch ourselves and we go like, Cam, I can't believe this. This is just too good, you know. We get these great speakers to come in and the kids are going off and, I mean, they're not really kids, but the participants are going off and they're making things and, they, and they've learned how to use cameras, complicated cameras, and, you know, do their own sound and they're filming. Everyone's doing their own filming and they're making this, every minute, everyone, all ten of them made something beautiful, you know. Hmm. So I feel like I don't know how to manage these discussions i don't think they're meant to be managed i think they are noise you know i mean there's pain underneath it yes i think that but i don't see anything you know that's going to be resolved through it in our conversation or in my conversation uh, with claire lehman i asked her why barack obama was not cancelled bearing in mind his previous views on gay marriage and uh she replied that they're just certain people who are too powerful to be cancelled Mm. And, I, and I want to come back to that question for you. Are, are you too powerful at this point to be cancelled? Have, have you got a shield around you? No, I think, that, I think I have more of a shield than I used to have, but no, you know, definitely 
um, with my, you know, off joke at the critics thingy. With the Williams. Uh, with the Williams sisters. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of activity on Twitter and, you know, I guess I learned a lesson too, you know. I don't think I was really close to being cancelled, but I was definitely being shown a different point of view. I, I got out of it, yes, you know, um, black women have a harder time than white women, you know, privilege. That's the basis of it. And and that sensitivity wasn't there in the joke, you know. Mm. So, but, you know, what I don't like is that it just creates this, you know, a kind of atmosphere where women are too afraid to say what they think, you know. Mm. Um, so there's no real discourse. But is that painful event like all pain now as a result of that comment with the Williams sister? Is that a oh, painful it event? It wasn't them that had to comment, but it yeah. was like people that love them. And yeah. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. But but let's call it just say the social media fallout or yeah. some other fallout. Does that painful event, like all painful events, I think for most of us, create some form of aversion in you? And now you are very cautious to the point where humor, I mean, you just have got, I've just, you know, been listening to you for the last hour and a bit. Your sense of humor, your sense of self reflection, your honesty about who you are and your family is just. I mean, it truly is a joy. And I go, does that painful event now create an aversion that limits Jane Campion's honesty and authenticity? Are we going to see less of Jane Campion's inner world? I think that you would be an absolute fool not to um, somewhat contain what you say in public. Um, around, I think it has created a kind of public personal um, arena like you know we would say at the school like you know no one's allowed to just go off and that's you know we're, we're always in a confidential sort of circle mm-hmm. so that there is that freedom but mm. yeah I don't speak perfectly all the time um and it's scary to think that you have been recorded that way I mean I want to learn but you know the, with the kind of heaviness of public censure that's quite heavy mm. Mm. so you know, like I feel still very free in my own, <laughs> with my friends and my world. Mm. And, you know, you, you said like I'm a sort of a brand now, but brands are sort of vulnerable because, you know, there's more there's more um, newsworthiness in them going down than in just anybody. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's... you know, your status is not very protective. <laughs> it's possibly the opposite. You're more of a target, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, certainly a way, you know, as I work my way up with a lot of resistance at times as being, you know, a female director when there was a time then, you know, just being a woman made you boring in circles of filmmaking and women, what women were interested in was just not interesting to people. Mm, mm. Um, fortunately, that's changed. Um, and it's all about power in the end. There was just enough women in the storytelling space doing amazing work and getting the audiences that turned it around and then that got the advertisers on side and that the advertisers then withdrew their money from Fox TV when, you know, the abuse stories were right. And so that you start to see that, oh, women are a big force, market force. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's yeah. different now. This is all different now. How have you responded, Jane, to staying with the issue of women and discrimination in film? How have you responded personally 
when you've either encountered for yourself uh, discrimination, gender discrimination, or witnessed it? What, what has been your response? And, and when you reflect on it now, yeah. what would you change in your response? Two things. A lot of women worked really hard for people like me to have the freedom that I've had in a career, you know, like, and when they do that work, it's political work and it actually takes them out of the creative realm and they don't end up doing the work that they might have done. So I'm um, very grateful to those women. A lot of them were, you know, fem- gay feminist women in Australia, you know, that created the Women's Film Unit and different things like that. So, like, they created the basis for a career for a woman like mine. Me, who was just, I was, like, totally focused on the work, on the storytelling space. And I really just tried not to let that distract me. You know, I didn't want to change my focus to the political realm. I didn't feel like I was the right person. You know, I was no Germaine Greer and look how she suffered anyway to take up that space. So I just tried to go, well, I'm, I went where I was free and I felt like I was free there and I could, I could do what I wanted to do. I mean, the thing I regret is that, you know, in some small ways I, you know, like for, to be the only woman to win the Palm d'Or for, I don't know how many years, like 20 years or more, which is a real long time and, you know, this, I mean, it began to feel like, you know, there's something wrong with women, they don't do this well or what, you know is something real here, you know, and, I mean, I never ever thought that, but I sometimes felt a little vanity about the one that got through. And actually what I'd like to say about that is, like, I'm sad about that vanity because I'm really sad that, you know, um, we or for so many years we haven't heard more from women storytellers. Jane, two more questions. I want to come to the issue of conformity because we've been speaking a lot about creativity and I want to talk about conformity the the guardian described the jane campion movie terrain as having a focus on troubled individuals with clandestine desires whose true nature is suppressed by rigidly conformist values of family and community and what's the upside of conformity and that's always been a struggle for me to know <laughs> um, um. I mean, I think school is the place where I really first encountered, well, the not at the request for conformity, but the absolute sort of like army-like obligation to it. Mm-hmm. And I really hated it. I always struggled with it. That it, it just feels like, a, you know, a blight on the soul. I mean, what does it mean to conform to, you know, um, conform to the pressures, to the power, to... Uh, to the ideas that, um, you know, to conform to a positive idea, okay, but conformity doesn't sound like that, does it? It seems to suggest that you um, shaping yourself to, I don't know, larger forces. Hmm. But it, w- it would be very hard to have a cooperative, non-conflictual society without some form of conformity. I mean, conformity is in part our culture is formed. I mean, subcultures, the, the movie industry will have its own uh, subculture of conformity, which may suggest everybody should be creative and everybody should be an individual. And, you know, everybody, you know, that sort of Monty Python, uh, you know, we are all individuals type of story. Uh, that conformity. Yeah. I, I mean, subcultures have their own roots. Conformities, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and so that if you behaved in a way 
that was non-conformist to a creative, let's call it creative, I hate that word because yeah. so many people are creative in so many different industries, but uh, th they would see you as, as you know, th they'd mark you down. Well, look, put it this way, I don't really care about all the rest of it, but I do like conformity when it comes to the, you know, rules of the road. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and basically the laws of the, the country, even if I don't agree with them all, that's probably a little bit more problematic, especially, you know, knowing where you guys came from. That is a hard thing to be, you know, to conform. Let's just stick with the rules of the road. <laughs> stick with um, the rules of the road. I think, I think they're, you know, that's pretty grand. And, you know, I'm surprised how well everybody does with it. You know, I'm, you know, considering my own driving, um, I think, you know, as a, as a whole population of people, I'm, I'm enamoured with how well people basically do staying on the road and staying on the right side of the road, on the left side of the road as it happens, but, you know, following the rules and um, not having accidents. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use three letters here. Wow. Uh, I just am amazed at, as I said earlier, at your self-reflection. And self-reflection often is, is, I suppose, signaled through a sense of humor, the ability to laugh at yourself, your ability to explore. Um, thank you for exploring with us. Um, and thank you for being a massive supporter of the show. Oh, can we all have dinner together when I'm next in Sydney? Let's do it. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really goes a long way to helping others discover our conversations. And spread the word about Principle of Charity as a concept itself so we can all get closer to more generous conversations. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.